Well, welcome to episode 11 of Mission Possible as we can conclude this week in the book of Acts. And this has been uh, a wonderful journey of a mission made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, we're continuing in this story. And Luke is concluding this story. And it's, he's really following what he did when he shared the life of Jesus in his own book of Luke. When Jesus uh, was facing Jerusalem, he was getting ready for Jerusalem to go and and present himself there and to be crucified, to be buried, and then rise again on the third day. Well, it, Luke does the same thing in the book of Acts with Paul, because Paul had his heart set for Jerusalem. The story begins in Jerusalem. And uh, in Jerusalem, he was arrested, and he was when he was arrested, uh, his nephew heard that there were 40 Jews who made an oath to not eat or drink until the apostle Paul was dead. And so in the middle of the evening, he was, he, uh, was protected by a group of about 470 Roman soldiers, and they went up to Caesarea, which was that port on the Mediterranean Sea. When I went to Caesarea, we started our tour of the Holy Land in Caesarea, and it's a great place to start because the person who built Caesarea was Herod the Great. Herod the Great also built the temple in Jerusalem. He built most of the major construction projects at that period of time in that land. And he uh, built this area here to celebrate King Caesar. And then he built Jerusalem to celebrate the Jews and to keep them happy. If you ever get a chance, go on a trip like that. You can see these two areas. Here's our artist's rendering of what that area looked like at the time of Jesus and Paul. And here's my pointer. Right out here is that palace that went right out into the Mediterranean Sea. That's where three key kings were when Paul was there. There was Felix, there was, there was Festus, and Agrippa. Anyone named those names? Probably not. Felix was a cat. Festus was a player on Gunsmoke. And I'm sorry, I just dated myself. But uh, they were kings. They were kings in that area. And Paul appeared before all of them and was tried. And they found nothing, nothing worthy of death to him. The Jews still wanted to get him. They wanted to ambush him. And so they put him on a ship. They said, to Caesar, you have appealed. To Caesar, you will go. Now, the current ruins of this area... Uh, is uh, there's the hippodrome and and uh, this was from that palace the steps of those palace where Paul appeared and here uh, there was a placard right at this area where Paul was supposed to have given his uh, appeal to each of these rulers if you have your Bibles turn with me to Acts 26 uh, beginning with verse 27 where Paul makes his final appeal to King Agrippa He says this, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, except for you being incarcerated right now, I'd like you to believe. Whether it takes you a short time or a long time, doesn't matter. You can believe today. And we aren't told whether or not he believed. But he put him on a ship because Paul appealed to Rome. 
they put him on a ship to go to Rome. And in those days, you picked up on any ship that was headed near the vicinity of Rome. And, and his, his uh, chart or his, um, the map that he took as Luke shares this story is kind of all over the place. Because if you were to travel in those days, you were dependent on waves and wind and your sail and currents in the ocean. Today, Paul could have hopped on a, a plane in Tel Aviv and flown to Rome in about three hours. Here, it took him six months. And these were the places that he went. He sailed to the north of the island of Cyprus. He hit the mainland and skipped around on the mainland of Turkey before catching a ship that took him to the south of Crete to a place called Fairhavens. And at that point, uh, it was taking him quite some time. Paul knew that it wasn't going to be safe travel and uh, he said, I think we ought to have winter in, in Crete. Julius, the Roman centurion who was with him, said, no, I think we need to keep sailing. And so did the captain. They kept sailing and they sailed right into a major storm. We aren't exactly told where that storm is, but they were tossed and turned. And Paul said, hey, I told you so. It's <laughs> my paraphrase. But he said, nevertheless, the Lord told me none of you will perish. None of you will die. Fourteen days go on. You can pick that up in Acts chapter 27, beginning with verse 33. It says, as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength for not, look at this comfort, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat and they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all, Luke says, 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. In other words, it was so bad that the cargo on board, they just go lighten the ship. It's breaking apart. So they just threw it over. And uh, this fierce storm probably had some winds from northern Africa that just plummeted this ship. And they ended up shipwrecking at an island off of Sicily called Malta. And uh, this had a harbor that had a reef. And uh, this, the ship hit the reef. And so they were several hundred yards away from land. So they said, let's swim. The soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners. But uh, Julius, the centurion, said, no, no, let's, he wanted Paul to live. So he said, let's just have him swim. We can have him hang on to stuff. So, so the ones who could swim, swam. And the one who's, who couldn't grabbed onto something and floated ashore. And when they came ashore on Malta, the people there greeted them with what's called, what, Paul, what Luke says is unusual kindness. We have a welcome ministry here that welcomes you when you come in, that, that uh, helps you get connected here. And that's our theme. That's our, those are our values. We want to treat people with unusual kindness. And so they did. They built them a fire. They started to feed them 276 people. While Paul was gathering wood for that fire, a snake came out of the wood and bit his hand. I hate snakes. I hate, that would freak me out, by the way. My heart rate you know, skyrockets to around 140 when I see a snake. Some of you love snakes. God bless you. May you not enter my presence with a snake. <laughs> but he grabbed the snake, his snake grabbed a hold of his hand, and everyone went, said, everyone immediately went, murderer! Because they thought, when something bad happens to you, God must be getting even. Don't we kind of go there when something bad, what have I done to deserve this? So they call him a murderer. 
said, sure he is. He's a prisoner. He must have committed murder. God is getting him. But then Paul grabbed the snake, took it off his hand and threw it off. He didn't swell. He didn't die. And then they said, well, he must be a god. Can you imagine that? Just a matter of minutes. You go from he's a murderer to he's God. And they tried to worship him. So uh, a, a leader on the island named Publius uh, welcomed Paul and brought him to his father. His father was sick and Paul healed him. And everyone on that island who was sick came to Paul and he healed them. They ended up putting them back on a ship and they started sailing northward uh, up to Italy, which I love the port they landed at, Puteoli. That's a good in, 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 Italian name there. But it was at that port that they joined in the Appian Way. And the Appian Way was a major road to Rome. And remember, all, leads, all, Rome, all roads lead to Rome? Well, their huge transportation system aided Paul in his journey. And that road today still has, still has ruts from the chariots that used to travel on it. About 50 miles outside of town, the church, some of the believers in Rome, met Paul at the Forum of Appius. Around 20 miles, a larger group met him at a junction called the Three Taverns, and then the church welcomed him in Rome. Now think about this. He went like he did in all of his other travelers. He started with the Jews, showing them from the law and the prophets that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the one who's the savior of the world and can save your life. And he called them to it and he reasoned with them and they gave him time and they gave him an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And some were convinced. Some turned their lives over to Christ and others rejected him. And to those who rejected it and just refused to believe, he said, that's what the prophet Isaiah said about you. You have ears to hear, but you don't hear. And you have you have um, eyes to see, but you don't see, lest you turn to God and he'd heal you. And he'd heal your brokenness and he'd restore you back. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 28, verse 28. And this is what his closing words were. He says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. There's that story that Luke kind of concludes. It's the end of the book of Acts. It ends kind of uh, abruptly here because the rest of the story is, most scholars say, is that he was released from this first imprisonment. He traveled to Spain. And if you've ever traveled to the south of Spain, you've gone through the Strait of Gibraltar. At that time, that was the known world. They didn't discover it west of that strait. And so all the sailors believed if you went through that strait, you'd literally sail off the world. And so very few people decided to go that way. Now think about this. This story that Luke begins in Jerusalem, and he continues and he says, we'll go from all Samaria, Judea and Samaria, and we'll go literally to the end of the earth. That's where Paul traveled. That's where he shared the gospel. Not long after that, he was rearrested and he was put back in prison in Rome. He was there alone and then he got the verdict and they martyred him right outside the walls of Rome. Luke doesn't share that. Luke doesn't share that, but that is the story that's been handed down to us on his life. So that's the story. We started back in, we started back in January. 
This has been 11 sermons you've spent, if you came to each one of them, about six hours listening. And today, you're going to get a bonus hour. No, you're not. But, but you've had a lot of time taking this journey with us. Well, what are some takeaways? And that's what I want to share with you. I think there are some key takeaways that are consistent throughout Luke sharing this story that were evident in the lives of the first followers of Jesus that I think are very, very important for us, not just to know, but then us to follow. Because the apostles gave us an example that we should follow in, in, uh, in how they followed Jesus. And the first one is this. They believed the gospel. They didn't just know about it. They didn't just receive it by listening to it. They just weren't kind about it. They believed it. And that's where, that's where Luke starts in the story. We start with Peter when he starts explaining who Jesus is. And he says that through Jesus, whosoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the open arm invitation by God for salvation to whosoever believes. John would say, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's that whole invitation to repent, to turn from your way of saving yourself or making your life about yourself to trust and to follow Jesus. And the invitation was for whosoever. That those are wide open arms for Jew as well as Gentiles. No one has the preference with God. All people can come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Male or female, which was transformational in that day and age where women were just treated like objects. Free and enslaved, rich or poor, all had access to God through Jesus whosoever calls on the name. And that's why we're here as a church. We're here for people to find and follow Jesus Christ. We're here not just to share the gospel, we're here to offer the gospel free of charge, but at an incredible cost to God by sending his one and only son to live for us, to die for us, and then to rise from the dead for us. Believe the gospel today. Maybe God has brought you here not just to hear it, but to believe it. And so many of us come to God thinking of what we've done for him or how good my life is compared to people around us. And all our righteousness is like a filthy rag before God. We can't save ourselves. Matter of fact, the more we try to be good, the more we realize we're not. And the more we need Jesus. And so that invitation of the gospel is to believe it. But then they didn't just believe it. They boldly shared it with others. This word boldness or boldly, that those are key words in the book of Acts. They describe the sharing of the gospel in this book. Boldness was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember that? In Acts 1.8, it starts, says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It was declared publicly whether people were attacking it or attacking one of the people who were talking about it. It was confronting the world, but it was also shared from home to home. People, can you imagine some of those conversations in the home? Because I don't know about you, but the gospel messes with my life. It messes with life on my terms. And it points me to life serving God. It points me to a much greater vision for my life than just selfishness. And there's going to be time when you have those conversations. And boldness is what it requires. If we just want to make people happy, we'll never confront it. We'll, what Paul, we'll do what Paul says. We just say what people's itching ears want to hear rather than the truth of God through the gospel. And at the end of, the life, uh, end of Paul's life, what do we see here? He preached it with boldness and without hindrance. 
Boldness was just who he was. He was willing and able to do that. And Luke invites us to be bold with this story. This story kind of ends without boldness, with boldness and without hindrance. So it's kind of like Luke is saying now, Acts 29, which I haven't written yet, you write. You church, now that you've seen how we've kind of provided this example of boldness, I know you're looking, there's no Acts 29. You're that, the church now, this living church of Jesus Christ, writes that next chapter. So be bold, advance that gospel, keep the story of God going through your life. You know, next weekend, as we celebrate Easter together, we want, never want this just to be about us. And so you were given uh, an invite, or hopefully you were last week or this week. And this invite is to, not for your refrigerator, it's for someone else's refrigerator. Someone you live next to, someone you work next to, someone in your family who's not connected to a church. If you're already connected to a church, don't rob other churches, okay? That God sees more than one church in Topeka. But if people aren't connected, invite them. It's the easiest time of the year to invite someone to an Easter service. And we have plenty of them. We've got two on Friday, two on Saturday, three on Sunday. And if they're donut lovers, invite them to the 731, okay? We'll give them comfort food and present the gospel to them. <laughs> but, but this is just an opportunity for you to... To take that first step towards boldness. And we're going to share the gospel. And we're going to call people to believe the gospel. And people who are with you who may have never heard the gospel. Do you realize if you're 18 to 35 year old, only 16% across our country, even in Topeka, are connected all to a church. If you're seven years old right now, only 50% of seven-year-olds have ever been in a church in the United States. We have an opportunity here to go bold with the gospel a little bit, invite them. And then after they hear the gospel, you turn to them and go, hey, what did you think about that message? And just see what God does with that question. It's not you being trained for 16 hours on how to share your faith. It's just, hey, what did you think about that? And then just respond to what God is doing. You have the greatest gift. We have the greatest gift. It's ever given, Jesus. The greatest gift you've ever received, Jesus. Don't you want to share that with people you care about and love? Yeah, so we want to partner with you and help you do that. Share this with someone in your life. And then they also get this example of enduring through suffering. From his conversion, uh, Jesus said to Ananias, he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for for the sake of my name. That's kind of one I'm really, I hope that God hasn't had uh, about me. I hope he doesn't say, Joe, I'm going to show Joe how much you must suffer for my name. I'm kind of like, no, I don't want to suffer. We don't like to suffer. But yet to advance the gospel amidst resistance, there's going to be suffering. Why? Because there's two different kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of sin. There's the kingdom of righteousness. There's the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of Satan. And right now, the kingdom of this world is dark. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to bring light into darkness, just like Jesus did when he came into this world. Don't expect this world to sing zippity-doo-dah every day. Don't expect this world, don't expect Jesus to make all your wildest dreams in this world come true. Expand your theology to be someone who's willing to endure through suffering. That's what you got with Paul. That's what you got with all these followers. Peter himself, they, these are guys who are literally beaten for their beliefs. As Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28, he just kind of 
boasts about what his life has gone through. And he really didn't think it was anything to boast about. But it makes me feel like a wimp. He starts sharing five times. I was beaten 40 times minus one. So five times times 39 times of someone taking a whip and with all their energy slapping him on the back with that. Man, I don't want to sign up for that. Yet because he refused to turn away from Christ, that's what he received. He was taken out and people picked up rocks and they threw it at him. He was stoned outside of a city. They thought he was dead. They left him for dead. But God preserved his life and he got up and fled. He hit this. We see him in a in a shipwreck situation with the confidence that he had that no one, not even a hair of their head. And that's saying something for us. I mean, that not even a hair would be injured. And God would protect him on that. And then he said, besides all this, I worry about the churches, the churches I started that are now walking away from the faith, that are turning away from Jesus, that are going back to works instead of living by grace. And here's someone who endured through suffering and to advance the gospel amidst resistance going is going to require us to engage, engage the darkness with the light of Jesus. If you just want to bow to the God of comfort and and pleasure then you will be very passive. You will be very ticked and you will be angry and bitter when when something bad comes into your life. And you will question whether or not God is even good when that happens. Persecution and suffering deepen faith when you hang under the hand of God. That's a promise. I read yesterday just about the 10 worst places to be a Christian. One was North Korea. That was number one, by the way. If you have a Bible in North Korea, you're thrown into jail. Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Uzbekistan, Somalia, the Maldives, Laos, um, even China these days is, is against the gospel moving from one life to the next. And yet in those environments, what do we see? We see the church multiplying. We do. In the midst of that resistance, in the midst of that suffering, you see the church multiplying. Authentic followers of Jesus who are willing to be thrown out of their families and thrown into jail. Man, we would think people would. And that's always the premise of why they're suffering. If we if we kick them, they'll give in. They'll recant. They'll walk away from Jesus. But when it actually emboldens people and endure through suffering. And then finally, the example we get is to love people authentically. Over and over, you see throughout this book, you see uh, healings, you see signs, you see wonders. Why? Because God wanted to make himself known. When you're broken with a sickness, when you're hurting and when you're suffering, God sees that. And it points to these miracles pointed to a final restoration where God's love actually wins out, where truth is restored in, in, in a false and dark world, where, where people are healed, where no more tears are and where there's joy and when there's pleasure in God. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Another word for that is compels us. He was motivated by love. He called them to love one another, to bear with one another, people who are different than them. And he welcomed all. I love this last passage in Acts 28. He welcomed all. There was no one who he said, nope, don't want to talk to you. Nope, Jesus didn't come for you. Nope, you're not like me. I don't want to want to share the gospel with you. He was open and available to proclaim the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
So think about this. These are our takeaways. This is the example we've been given. And Luke looks to us and says, now go do it. Go and write Acts 29, church. Make sure to keep this story moving with the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power of the book of Acts, the same power who rose Jesus from the dead. And here's the reward. What's the reward? Well, I saw three of them in this book. And one of the key ones is this. God's going to expand your reach. He did that with Paul. And in Acts 1.8, it says, remember, it started in Jerusalem. That's where everyone was who believed in Jesus. And... And Jesus said to him, you believe, you boldly proclaim, you endure through suffering and you love people. And this message will go to the end of the earth. It's a much greater plan, much broader scope than we could ever plan. Far beyond our plans is the exhilarating, wonderfully chaotic and persistent plan of God to bring all nations to himself through the gospel. Acts shows us that. And then it says from any person. I mean, it's from any person. You see all the different people who Paul met. And with each one, he loved them and he respected them. But even, it wasn't just simple people, salt of the earth people. It was the supreme ruler that he had a, had a, 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 had a conversation about the gospel. He actually appeared before Nero and presented the gospel. I like what he says at the end of the book of Philippians. Uh, I'm sorry, Second Timothy. Those are his final words. He says, and so God saved me from the mouth of a lion which literally referred to as a figurative nickname for Nero, which means he had, a, had an audience with Nero. From the smallest to the largest of those in power, Paul's life was expanded to reach. And that says a lot about his character, right? If you can talk to someone on the street and you can talk to someone in the halls of power, it says a lot about who you're willing to reach. And only God... Only God expands that kind of reach when you're bold, when you endure, and when you love deeply. Second thing that will happen, the reward of God, is that God will deepen your faith. I always like how you look at these five years of uh, the detailed in those passages in that story I just shared with you. He spent two in a prison in Caesarea just waiting. I mean, uh, Felix wanted a bribe and Paul didn't give him any money. So what, what happens when you li- you're in a country where people want a bribe and you don't get you stay in jail? He stayed in jail for two years. And then, I mean, I hate traveling long distances for long periods of time. I love the jet. I love he traveled six months on a ship that was tossed and turned by waves. And then in, in Rome, as he awaited trial, he was there for another two years. This is with a type A driven personality off to the side, thrown in prison, just kind of waiting. Were they wasted years? Was, did God know, knew what he was doing? Did, what was ha- Absolutely. He may have been to the sidelines of our plans, but he was at the center of God's will. And so many times when we're on the sidelines, hard to really trust. Is this a waste or is God working here? God was deepening his faith. Why? Because what did he write? He wrote three key books at that time. He wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and uh, Philippians. Written during this time. What words do we see in those, those books? We could read each one of them in less than 15 minutes. We read words like joy, contentment, patience, kindness, love, and an unswerving faithfulness to the sovereign plan of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. John Stott said this about that time. He says, was it not through his very confinement that his eyes were opened to see the victory of Christ and the fullness of life 
power and freedom which is given to those who believe in Christ? Answer, absolutely. God used those, that time to deepen the Apostle Paul in his faith. And can I say that? God does the same with you. I believe that's why you got up and came here this morning. You came here to deepen your faith, to deepen your relationship with Jesus. We just don't want to suffer for that. We want to come here so our week's not that bad after this week, right? God, you owe it to me. I came here after all. I mean, I listened to Pastor Joe for over 30 minutes without leaving. And, and we think that, but you know what? It's many times I could have, I, I know many of you right now, just I'm looking around this room and I know some of your lives as you shared it with me. And I know the suffering and the pain you guys have gone through. And I know some of the hurts and brokenness of your life that you've been willing to share with me. And when you hung on to the hand of Jesus through that, guess what happened? God deepened your faith every time, every time. I could, we could go on until the Easter egg hunt where we just line up people and have you share. Yeah, when I was going through this difficult time, when I lost this person in my life, when I went through depression, when I lost my job, when my marriage broke up and I held on to the hand of Jesus, my faith in Jesus deepened. And we could have others who aren't here, who didn't hold on to the hand of Jesus when they went through the same type of suffering. And they're bitter, and they're angry, and they wonder, what in the world did they ever do to deserve deserve this? See, God deepens faith when we hang on to his hand going through a difficult time. And then the final reward is this, that God will welcome you home. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the great confidence that we have through Christ, and it was Paul's. As Paul's last words before he was martyred in Second Timothy chapter 4 are shared, it's not really this positive picture, and everything's going great for me. Hope you're doing well, Timothy. He said, come to me when you can. I only have Luke here. Everyone else has kind of deserted me, and there's a lot of people I've been struggling with relationally. But he says this. Look at, at uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse, I think it's 7. There, Yeah, 17. It says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the, mouth, from the lion's mouth. There's that reference to Nero. And look at verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Boy, that was Paul's attitude. That was his life. That was his position in life. Although he was just about to die, he says, and God will rescue me and with the confidence of the gospel and welcome me into his presence. Because that's what we have when we have Jesus. We have the expectation of eternal life with him forever. That's what Paul would say in the book of Philippians 121. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die it's gain. We look at, at life as loss. Here Paul saw it as gain. And that's what we have with Christ. Verse 23, he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He made that appraisal of life. To be with Christ is far better. So here's what I want to conclude with. When we're detached from the gospel, when we're refusing or neglecting to boldly share it, When we cave into temptation and walk away at the slightest problem or difficulty in life, 
when we're consumed with self, trapped in the next comfort, the next pleasure, you will see heaven as a bore, as a loss, as a threat to your way of life. Because heaven's not going to be about you. It's going to be about Jesus. But when you're connected to the gospel, when you believe it, when you're boldly sharing it with others, when you're enduring amidst suffering, when you're loving people around you and and go to people who are hurting with the gospel, heaven with Jesus is an anchor for your soul. Heaven is great gain. And no matter what your greatest thrill or your pleasure is on the greatest day of this life, It will not compare to the glory that you will experience in heaven with Jesus. Church, buy futures in heaven. Where moth and rust cannot corrode. Where thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Folks, that will not disappoint you. So just as Luke ends this story with boldness and without hindrance... Church, write Acts 29. Will you be someone who steps up and goes, I'll continue this story. This story that not only inspired me, but through the power of the Holy Spirit will transform me in the person and the power of Jesus Christ. This same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that was alive and at work in this early church, will be alive and at work in me. I will be the church because that's what the church is. It's not a building, it's people. People who are being changed and transformed through Jesus Christ. Let's write the next chapter. Believe the gospel. Share it boldly. Endure through suffering. And love people authentically. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to the end of this journey. A journey that you have guided us on. And a a journey that you have, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, opened our minds and now our lives to continuing And I I pray for boldness in this congregation. Each person here, you know all of our fears. You know what we're afraid of. Would you give us such a belief and a faith that we're willing to share it with people who matter to us because they matter to you? And we expect your reward. Not to make our lives better, but to make you greater. And we thank you that our souls have been crafted for you. For you in eternity. And we lift up the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who changed lives in the book of Acts and who's changing us today. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.